Okay, so last week I talked about, do you understand the game that you're in? Do you, do you understand what, what it's all about? Um, virtually everybody believes in God. Virtually everybody thinks that he's put us in some kind of a game. Uh, but do you really know God and do you really understand the game that you're in? And I love how Michaela ended that because she said it was fun. And last week I was saying the, the way that you know you understand the game and you're playing it right, the front end can be kind of tough because he has to tear down all your nonsense and uproot all your sin and destroy all your strongholds. So it t- that's, that can be kind of brutal. But once you figure it out, it's fun. It's fun. Someone asked me this morning, like, hey, what's on your mind? I said, I'm just looking around at these people and just thinking how cool this church is and how cool it is to watch you guys love each other, how amazing it is to hear people from this church, how God's using them, etc. It's fun. It doesn't mean you never have trouble, but you have trouble and you're like, hey, we're going to get through this and good's going to come from this. And so last week I talked about uh, the game itself, and I don't even want to start on a review or we'll never get out of here. But uh, go online and listen to it. It's not what you think it is. And the Bible says apart from uh, dying, losing your life, letting God just kind of wipe your brain clean of everything that you think you know about him in the game and letting God save you, forgive you, fill you with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll never understand the game. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And, that, and not even being saved do you understand the game. It just means you're on the board and you can play. Otherwise, you're just kind of wandering around in the dark, bumping into things. But then you have to receive the Holy Spirit, and then he has to teach you. And it takes quite a bit of time. But it's a, the uh, Corinthians says, eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, one of the leading teachers of his day, he's like, you're clueless about heavenly things. He said, if I tell you earthly things you don't understand, how in the world can I tell you heavenly things? This was Nicodemus. And that's where he said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't see the kingdom of heaven. So last week we talked about the game. And this week, um, I want to ask you guys, do you have game? Do you have game? And I was just praying this morning, and I was like, oh, Eureka. Michaela's going to talk this morning. Girl's got game. And then, uh, and then we thought, oh, we're having a baptism. And that would be a nice way to end it because that's how you get into the game if you do that right. If you don't do baptism right, you just got wet. Some of you guys just got wet. And you need to understand what it is. It is a death. Everything you think you know, everything, all of your plans, who you think you are, where you think you're going, you're like, I'm your slave. God, forgive me for all my sins. Regenerate me. Come into my life. Make me new. Fulfill your plans for my life. That's what baptism is supposed to be. It's... A picture of what happens in your soul. It's a death and a a resurrection when you're really saved. But anyway, I thought, boy, this would be great to have Michaela give her uh, testimony because the last one I knew was amazing. She's like, oh, here's the picture of the demonized girl that used to run through the town naked and attack people. And here she is smiling at her baptism. And, you know, it's like in Africa, the darkness is thick and it kind of blow your paradigms if you go over there. Demonization is normal. It's normal here too, but we hide behind things. We, we think we're so smart, but it's, it's uh, very obvious and out in the open there. Um, the things that people, those girls went through that she was with, apart from Jesus, there is no help for them. 
I mean, they've been raped. They've been, they've been abused. They've been, and uh, why does Michaela have game? Because she went through some traumatic stuff. Go online and watch her testimony so she can go in and say, look, I've been through it. I've gotten out of it. God's turned my pain into wisdom, weapons. I can now help you get out of it. So the question is, do you have, do you understand the game? Do you have game? And nice visual aid there. Uh, and again, I always say this, don't get cocky. Don't get proud. Stay low. We're always learning. The minute you get proud, you're going to do a face plant. We're always in learning mode. But obviously, this young lady can do things that most people will never learn how to do. She can go into dark situations and walk people out. Some people think that Christianity is dumb magic. And they call it the anointing. The, the anointing. There is something called the anointing. But they think it's just dumb magic. And anybody can do anything. No, it's not. Effective Christianity is a skill set that the Holy Spirit teaches you as you go deep in the Word. And you have supernatural power because you know how to cooperate with Him. And it takes a lot of time. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of trials and suffering because we don't really want to learn until we hit the wall. So anyway, do you have game? And uh, because we have a baptism, I say this every week and it never really works. I'm going to try to cut this a little short. But... Um, as I was going through the points that I wanted to challenge you on, do you have game? I was just thinking, what better part of Scripture than Paul's letter to Timothy? Um, who's done any significant memorization out of First, Second <coughs> Timothy? First or Second Timothy? One. I got a, one of these. Oh my goodness! Are you guys in for a treat? So just so our guests don't think you guys are dumb dumbs, how many of you guys have memorized almost the whole book of James? Okay, there you go. How many of you guys have memorized chapters out of the book of Romans? Okay, how many of you guys have memorized whole psalms? Okay, so I'm just saying, you guys, uh, you've not hit First and Second Timothy yet. For a young believer, that's going to be like Christmas. And almost every point that I'm going to hit on here, uh, I was just thinking it through, and I was like, oh, Paul said that to Timothy. Oh, Paul said that to Timothy. And most of them actually come out of the second chapter of Second Timothy. So, of course, Paul is the guy who wrote... 13, perhaps 14, of 27 New Testament books. Uh, used to be a professional Christian hunter. Got saved and then went into service for Jesus Christ and, and uh, turned the world on its head. But Timothy traveled with him for about 15 years. It was kind of his protege. So when Paul left him in Ephesus to watch over the church and establish a church, he'd write him letters and just remind him about what a young person, relatively young, he's probably 35 plus at this time, what a young person needs to be thinking about if they want to be in the game. And some of these things you'll say, oh, I knew that and I lost sight of that. Some of you, so, some of you again, um, I'm not going to look at anybody, but honestly, a lot of religious people who think they're okay aren't in the game at all. But just so you have some idea what it looks like to be in the game, I think that's a pretty good picture. It's a very normal person who's been through some real suffering who's taken a few years to buckle down, get her nose in the Word. I remember her when we were doing the, the, the Psalms seminar. I remember going over to the discipleship house, and uh, she was trying to teach herself Hebrew so she could learn in the original language. Hebrew is stinking hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's the hardest language I've ever studied. But she was trying. I mean, that's the seri some serious um, discipleship. And she, she was certified with Freedom in Christ, uh, ministries, which I think is about the best ministry de uh, dealing with spiritual warfare out there right now. So all that to say, I just want to just run through a few points 
if you want to find out if you're in the game, listen to last week's seminar. I mean, sermon. Last week's sermon. Touched on Romans chapter 8. The parts that are in the game that frustrate us are the necessary parts. Uh, God had to give us will if he he wanted to fulfill his objective. When we misuse will, it brings suffering into the world. Uh, God doesn't just eliminate all suffering because it would screw up the whole game. Uh, He does unilaterally break in, but he has to do it through people who have faith and are in partnership and covenant with him. That's how he set up the game. He could have done it any way he wanted to, but then the entire objective was a game of the game was to make us miracle workers. And again, like Michaela, that, that's what she was doing is miraculous. She's walking people out of debilitating darkness, and the greatest miracle is introducing people to Jesus. People think the greatest miracle is healing. No, it's not. If you heal somebody and they're not saved, what you so so they're going to hell still? I mean, what? Healing's nice and prophecy's nice. We're all immature in our thinking. The greatest miracle is seeing someone made new and reconciled to their Heavenly Father. Um, so I'm not opposed to any of the other miracles, but they're, they're not any bigger than, than uh, the, the things she was talking about. I don't know, she probably saw some healings and prophetic words and things. She's nodding. But she didn't emphasize them. Why? Because she's becoming mature and realizing... What touched me the deepest was when, the, when God's Spirit came on that group when she was talking about teaching them the character of God. Because that brought a tear to my eye because I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in prisons. I've seen that happen in Bangladesh. I've seen that happen in Africa. Because most people don't even know who the creator of the game is. Yes, I do. I believe in God. Well, welcome to the human race. So does everybody else. But your vision of him is twisted, distorted. And if you don't know who he is, you don't understand the game. So anyway, Awesome. We're so proud of you and the Lord. But we want to see it. others of you are out there getting it done. It's awesome. But do you have game? Bodily exercise has only a small benefit. Some of you guys get up super early. There's a <laughs> I, I don't want to even go there. We act as if our physical health is the most important. It's ridiculous. You, you should be healthy because this is the machine God gave you to get his will done. So we should learn how to, you know, Keep it running as well as, and as long as we can. But it's only a little profit. Godliness is profitable for everything since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. So we really should be, if we're going to get up at four in the morning, it shouldn't be to run five miles or you know, go do the bench press or whatever. If we're going to get up at four in the morning, it should be to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, learn the mind of Christ so we can be players out there in the world bringing people out of darkness to light, etc., so this was uh, just something Paul said that I thought kind of encapsulated, it, you know, the idea of exercise and game, whatever. I just thought it was appropriate. So uh, let's look at a few things about do you got game? Do you have game? And I thought some funny stories. <coughs> Pastors are always supposed to incorporate funny stories. I don't know. I don't know if you'll laugh. Maybe you'll stare blankly at me. But um, I actually was I'm a terrible basketball player, <coughs> terrible basketball player. But back in my last year of college, I thought I was going to be working with inner city kids. So uh, I thought I'm going to learn how to play basketball because you just not, you're not going to be able to get anything done in the inner city with kids if you don't know how to play basketball. So uh, I took a PE class. I learned two moves, and I could dunk it. And that got me a one-on-one game that worked pretty well. Uh, I had these two moves and I could dunk the ball. So if I, and the two moves got me around the guy. And uh, so, 
I, this was, it, it was a joke, but one time a person, uh, I was mentoring a few inner city kids and one of them was very athletic and I got out on the basketball court with him. He was younger than me and the leader of his uh, 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 church was watching us and they're, they're, they're from a, a black neighborhood. I used my two moves on this kid and the leader of the church said that I had game. <laughs> and then the kid subsequently tore my head off and scored. I mean, he was doing stuff. I was just, you know, breaking ankles all over the place. And uh, so I really, I, did, I don't have game, but uh, th- this whole idea, I was just thinking about that this morning. I remember one time someone said I had game, and I really don't have game because my youngest son, he's a crazy athlete, and I just stopped playing basketball with him when he was 13 years old because he, he's, that, that kid has game, and he can pretty much play with anyone anywhere. I don't. But who cares? Who cares about basketball? The, we're talking about life. We're talking about the spiritual battle. Understanding it and winning and having fun. I'm having fun. Anybody out there having fun? Okay, we got some of you guys aren't. Like, I think Christianity is miserable. You're doing it wrong, my friend. You haven't figured it out yet. So, point one. Uh, to, to be in the game, you've got to be courageous. You've got to be courageous. And Paul tells Timothy, very famous verse in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, God's not giving you a spirit of fear slash cowardice. But I put a couple Greek words out there because you come to the seminar, dunamis, right? Power. And uh, agape. If you know one Greek word, you know agape, right? He said God's given us a spirit of power. We have supernatural power. And like Richard was saying earlier, we're motivated by love. And discipline, self-control. That's a part of a fruitful Christian life. But we don't have a spirit of fear. You can't be afraid of your parents. You can't be afraid of your religious tradition. You can't be afraid of your roommates. You can't be afraid of the community. And it seems like Timothy had kind of a timidity problem. And there's some people that just, I don't know, it's like in their genetic makeup, they just don't seem to have fear, like Brandon Jones back there. He just doesn't have fear. He just climbs trees and jumps off cliffs and, you know, he was riding around with his baby on a four-wheeler last week. Um, Some of you guys saw me in the picture, you know, doing, Sophia snuck that up there. He doesn't seem to have a fear gene, but a lot of us are afraid of all kinds of stuff. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of sharing our faith. We're afraid of not being approved of. Got to kill that. You're not going to be a player in the game if you give a rip about what the people around you think. Uh, the fear of man is a snare. So, you, And the only way to get rid of all your fears is to really know who God is. Once you know who God is, you'll do anything. You'll, I remember my first trip to Africa. You've heard this on the plane. Like, I'm going to die. This is before everybody was going to Africa. This is the early 2000s. I'm going to die. Um, but whatever. God loves me, and if he wants me to die, I'm going to die. But uh, it's, I'm not afraid. And we went, we just had this incredible, amazing trip. And I got on a plane on the way home. And I said, well, I guess the plane's going to crash on the way back. But whatever. And it didn't. Um, going to the inner city, going to prisons. Uh, and, th- and then also very practical things. Some people aren't in the right church. Why? Because they don't want their parents not to approve. 
Some people won't take a doctrinal position because they've studied the Bible and they're pretty convinced that it's true. Some people won't confess their sins to brothers and sisters in Christ because they're afraid that they won't be loved, even though the Scripture says confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. We just have to evaluate so much of our life is controlled by fear, if we know who God is. But i got to plow forward. God's given us a courageous spirit. Uh, God's been working on me in evangelism. I'm a wimp. That's probably the wimpiest aspect of my life is, is what I call cold turkey, just walk up to someone and evangelize. God's getting me over that home. Uh, I talked to a guy last week in a restaurant. We got, it was actually because Cora, beautiful little baby here in the room, walked up to me and there's a guy sitting next to me and we got the chat. I'm like, are you a Christian? I, I used to, I wouldn't do that. And God's like, walk up to people in the park, just like they did in the Bible. Jesus, the woman at the well. Uh, Paul, when he gets to Philippi, sees a woman down there, you know, and goes and chats with her. People need the Lord. Stop being a whip. So I'll move past that. If you want to be in the game, figure out how to get past that fear barrier. What else we got? You got to be on fire. You got to be on fire for the kingdom and the cause. Religion, we don't do religion because it's good for the kids. We don't do religion because it brings balance to our life. We do this Jesus thing because it is the thing. It's the thing. Everybody needs Jesus. There aren't many roads to God. There's a heaven. There's a hell. We're, we're taking the Bible literally. Again, you've got to be careful when you say that. We're reading the Bible according to genre, using the correct biblical interpretation. And what it says, according to the genre that it's speaking, is true with a capital T. It's true. We believe the Bible is true. We're under it. Um, so God became a man because we're all lost and doomed and damned. He became a man took our because we're all sinners. He took our punishment, our penalty on the cross. They put him in the ground. He rose again on the third day. And if someone will put their faith, trust, belief in that and surrender to him as Lord of their life, they are at peace with God for all eternity. This is like the magic message. We have it. Nobody else has it. And it's worth dying for. And if you, if you think religion is kind of balances your life out or going to help you get into law school or up your bench press or your batting average or your bank account or whatever, um, help you find a good you know, steady guy or gal, it's not what it's about. It's about living, dying for Jesus. And guess what? <coughs> He'll throw in all that other stuff. I don't, I don't, I can, I don't envy anybody. Their life. I've got... All kinds of great relationships. I got a great marriage. I got a great relationship with my kids. I got a great, you know, I've had fun. Been to Africa 15 times, Russia, Bangladesh. I've had a great, fun life. God hasn't shortchanged me. Um, but it's not because I was sinking those things and using Jesus as my big lever. It's because I want to live and die for Jesus because it's worth it. You got to be on fire if you want to be in the game. If you think religion is something else, you just say, hey, God, straighten me out. Show me where I'm off base. This is, look at what Paul says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the extent of being imprisoned as a criminal. Are you willing to be imprisoned as a criminal for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be put to death for Jesus Christ because he's the thing? If not, you don't understand what it's all about. Uh, but the word of God's not in prison. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. My payday is you guys. That's what Paul said about the people he ministered to, even though he did a million times more than I'll ever do. 
He said, you are my joy and crown. You are my reason for rejoicing the day of Christ Jesus because we got to be on fire for the cause. So we got to get rid of fear. We got to be on fire for the kingdom and the cause. You want to be a, you got to be teachable too. You got to start out with I don't know diddly. Watch Michaela's testimony online. I hope we'll get a bump in the uh, the uh, views on uh, it's go to refuge narratives or go to our website and we got about 10 people in here that have their testimonies, amazing testimonies. But I remember she said she thought she knew quite a bit until she came to our church, and then she realized she didn't. Isn't that true? Yeah. And she wasn't much of a player. And she went, over to, she went overseas to missions and got slaughtered. I see that happen all the time. All these college kids loading up on airplanes to go over to different countries. I mean, I'm thinking of my daughter-in-law who may be watching. I don't even think she was saved. You know, she's just some ministry. Oh, yeah, go. You can change the world. And the devil's over there, like, licking his chops. Like, oh, give me these dumb college kids who think the kingdom is dumb magic. But when the devil knows that there's someone and they know how faith, prayer, faith works, how prayer works, how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, they're mighty in the Word. They've memorized chapters. They've memorized books. They know how to apply them. They're not fearing. They understand the character of God. The devil's probably looking at the plane, you know, with all his demons. And yeah, all these kids are wimps. With, ooh, no, that girl, she's going to be trouble with a capital T right there. That girl, she knows the word. She's causing all kinds of trouble in America. Now she's going to, most of the, most of the, most people in the church for, in America, actually, they're not really pro players. They're just banging into each other like the Keystone cops. But you have to be teachable. And that starts with, I don't know anything. And, and as a matter of fact, a lot of Christians may need to say, I might not even be saved at all. Let's go back. Paul said that. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. The book of Hebrews, he rebukes him. He said, you ought to be teachers by now, but you can't even lay out the basics. People have been saved 10, 20 years, never led a soul to Christ. What? Never prayed for an hour. You know, don't know 100 scripture verses. You know, we're just... Anyway, you've got to be teachable. So what does Paul say about that? The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Like what, Paul? Obviously, Paul's a player. Like everything I'm writing in this book that I'm reiterating to you. You have to learn all these things. Paul says to Timothy, you learn all these things. He traveled with them for 15 years. And you also need to know that before he traveled with them, he already knew the Bible by heart. Timothy. He had grown up in a pious Jewish home, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, from infancy, you have known the sacred scripture, which means the Old Testament was like you, you know, singing Yankee Doodle. Or whatever else you sing as you're a kid. Barney, I love you, you love me, we're best friends as friends can be. It was hardwired, it was tattooed on his soul from the time he was a little kid. And then Paul taught him how to do it. So we have to be humble, teachable, and you got to put in long hours. If you really want to be a player, keep wanting to say prayer, be a prayer too, but be a player. Um, Think in terms of taking at least two or three years of hard learning. And this is where I lose a bunch of people. I I like the dumb magic paradigm. That sounds a lot easier. I'd rather not memorize chapters of Scripture. I'd rather have visions and dreams you know, and see Jesus in my oatmeal or whatever. Uh, I don't want to do the hard work of actually learning 
you know, a, a difficult book and the historical context and how it all lines up. Well, if you want to see Jesus in your oatmeal, if he's going to show up in your oatmeal, or have dreams and visions and whatever, and be able to separate the ones that are from heaven from the ones that are in hell, you have to know the book, which just takes hard work. So anyway, be teachable, humble, take the time to get rooted and grounded in the scripture, which again, this girl has done that. She went out, got slaughtered, run over, chewed up, spit out. I remember, I just remember looking across the street. She was living across the street from us and she was like slinking around, almost like, I don't want to see anybody. And like kind of quickly going in her house. I just see her on the front porch. Oh, there's my, I wonder what's up with Michaela since she got back from her, her ministry trip. She's like hiding. I mean, she could tell you about it. It, it wasn't pretty because she wasn't ready. So set yourself up for success. How? Surround yourself with people that are aggressive, holy, passionate, better than you, smarter than you, more anointed than you, that, that will encourage you to be maximized. Stop comparing yourself to them. Nobody's, nobody's taking a tally. And you know what? You're miserable and I'm miserable to be around when I'm trying to be somebody else. You're quite a delight when you're just trying to be a better you. Just worry about being a better you, your gifts, your calling, your knowledge, how many Bible verses you can memorize in a week, not comparing to how many verses you can versus how many Bible verses Shane can or whatever. It's <clears throat> worry about being a better you, but how? By being around people. Find people that are, they're, they're, they know more scripture than you. They're more effective at evangelism than you. They're better at prayer. Their faith is bigger than yours. So set yourself up for success and get away from the half-baked Christians that are just making excuses as to why they don't have to give more and why they don't have to be more and why they should be able to just pursue their American dream and Christianity is basically just kind of a little ornament on their tree. So what does Paul tell Timothy? If a person cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He'll be a player. If you do the things Paul's talking about, get away from other stuff But flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So I've surrounded myself with a bunch of people who are calling on the Lord from a pure heart. You guys. I've said this a lot, and I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor. You're the best group I've ever worked with. You're the most fun group. You're the most on fire group. You're the most committed group. Um, I love being a part of this church. Uh, So... Surround yourself with people that are excellent, that are pushing it, and that's what you're going to become. So be set up for success. So be courageous, one. Be on fire, two. Be teachable, three. Just be humble. Just say, I don't know. Uh, I'm wrong because I'm not out there tearing it up, so obviously I'm wrong. Uh, And then set yourself up for success by getting yourself in a community that is going for it. There will be times when you're alone, but right now, that's not where you're at. You're here take advantage of this because I've been around the block for the last 30 years. You're not going to be able to find this everywhere. You're just not. You think you're going to drive down the road and find this fired up bunch of people that are going to get up at four and five in the morning and pray, go to the other side of the world and be on fire and do miracles and people that are, it's just, it's not everywhere right now because we're not in a, the church isn't in a healthy place. So set yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with people. What else do we got here? 
Be disciplined. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind discipline or discipline. Um, order your life in a way that you're constantly improving. Don't make excuses. If you want to get in shape, you're going to have to get up early. If you want to get in shape, you're going to have to eat different. If you want to get in shape, you're going to have to hang out with friends that don't play video games for five, six hours a day, right? You're going to have to, you know, find a new bunch of friends. If you don't, sorry, I don't want to be too sarcastic here. But uh, I was about to say something, but I reined it in. Um, But just like physical discipline, if you want to be better, same with spiritual discipline. Um, in this church, it's just normal. We were talking about CD groups this morning, our core discipleship groups. And as our church grows, it's going to be the way that we're going to be able to grow successfully and care for people. A CD group is a group of around five people who basically check in with each other once a week to find out, are you staying in shape so you can stay in the game? And it's, are you in prayer daily? Are you in the word daily? Are you... And then, and then in our group, we say, and what else are you doing to, to feed your soul? Oh, I'm reading this incredible book on Hudson, Hudson Taylor. I just read The Cross and the Switchblade. I found this series of videos by this amazing pastor in New York or whatever. <clears throat> I found a book on prayer written in 1720. This is just normal. So are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? What else are you doing to feed your soul? Are you walking in holiness? Everybody's got an Achilles heel. Amen? Amen. Amen. We all have an Achilles heel. How, how are you staying out of that mess what structures are you putting up in your life to keep you do i get really practical here do i say this stuff to help you manage that anxiety that depression that porn addiction right that keep you from that boyfriend girlfriend that you know you're not supposed to be dating god asks you to you know break up with that you keep getting sucked back into that relationship Keep you from that laziness. Whatever your Achilles heel is, what are you doing? We're going to help you set up structures so these CD groups help us to be disciplined so that we're in the Word, we're in prayer, we're walking in holiness, we're surrounded by people, we're letting them in our business so that we can be disciplined people because in a lot of respects it is like a game and it is like an athletic game. And to be a player, you have to be doing things so that you're becoming better and better and you're learning more and more, etc. So, got to be disciplined. Most days I'm up, I, I've been planning to get up at about 5, but some days I'm up 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. If I do that, I'll have to take a nap later, or I'll have to take a power nap on Friday, or, you know, Saturday or Sunday. But some days I'm up, I get up super early because nobody will interfere. Nobody will mess with me. I got an hour, I want to get an hour of prayer at least, and I want to get an hour in the Word. There's a whole bunch of you that do the same thing. Most, I honestly... Most pastors in the United States don't do that. There's been, Barna's done surveys. Most pastors pray like five, ten minutes a day. And so then we wonder why miracles aren't happening and why there aren't radical salvations in the church. Basically, the church isn't really set up to win right now. We're set up for other things in our culture. Um, Read Francis Chan sometime. I, I like Crazy Love because he's kind of, he's like, what does the church have to do with the New Testament right now? Come on, let's just be honest. All night prayer meetings, where are those happening? You know, bring in the widows and the orphans, where is that happening? Um, so, be disciplined. No soldier in active service, this is 2 Timothy 2, 4-7, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Can you compare your spiritual life to an athlete? Athlete works out every day. Athlete, they, they said to their life on winning that crown. What about a farmer? His whole life is obsessed with the planting and the sowing and the, the hard work, getting up early, putting in the time. And the soldier says, doesn't even mess with what's going on in the culture around him so that he can please the one who enlisted him. So again, this whole, this whole discipline aspect. What else have we got here? Oh, you've got to be supercharged. Are you supercharged yet? The church doesn't teach this anymore. The Bible certainly does. History certainly does. You're not going to read about the greats of history like Amy Carmichael or D.L. Moody or anybody, R.A. Torrey or Charles Finney or Charles Spurgeon. It doesn't matter what, you know, if you're Calvinist, you're Arminian or dispensational or not, or John Wesley. You're not going to read about any of these people, but there was a time when they received a touch from God. And there's kind of a mystery about it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Um, but you need this supercharge. And this has been beaten out of the church. But our visual aid here, Michaela, I remember her. We had a conference. When? 17? 2017? And uh, people were kind of being exposed to some of these ideas they hadn't heard before. And I just remember her. I could hear Susan talking to her on the phone. And she says, does it feel like waves of liquid love? Because that's how a lot of people, I mean, that's how Moody described it. That's how fitting. When the Holy Spirit just like, just, uh, I remember when Lars was touched by the Holy Spirit and never led a soul to Christ. And after this happened, everyone he talked to for the next two weeks came to Christ. We're taught that this is naughty. We're taught that this is goofy. We're taught that only kooks believe this. And the devil's laughing at us because we're supposed to be supercharged along with all this other stuff. And if you haven't received it yet, it's because something's out of whack. You want it for the wrong reason. You, you still have sin in your life. You're, you're not taking it by faith. There's a reason. It's not because God doesn't want to give it to you. But Paul basically tells Timothy, Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So in the Bible, if you, remember, if you read through the book of Acts, oftentimes they, they lay hands on people and bam, the Holy Spirit would hit them. In power. And so Paul's telling Timothy, remember that you've got a supercharged Timothy, and it came upon you when I prayed over you. So stir it up, stoke it up, get out there and use it. And so I remember when, when I just, this first conference we had, a lot of these, you know, intercession to move God and the power of the Holy Spirit and all that was all new to so many people. But I just remember a few days later, uh, Susan was talking on the phone. Um, she's like, what's happening to me? <laughs> Does it feel like waves of liquid love? Because sometimes it, you don't have to have any particular experience. You know, you know how you know you got it? Do you know how you know that you have this supercharge from God? Because you've got a supercharge from God. It's not from any experience. It's not because you prophesy or speak in tongues or have visions of angels or anything. It's because yesterday I couldn't do this and today I can and a lot of times it involves an experience. But we put so much emphasis on the experience that we don't care if people are supercharged, which is absurd. People are like, well, how do you know you're supercharged? Because I can say a few unintelligible lines. Okay, well, do something. Well, I can't do anything. I just can say a few. I can just speak in tongues or whatever. Or I had some hair-raising encounter with God. Yeah, but the whole point of it was so that you could be empowered. You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be able to witnesses, etc. So... 
Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're supercharged. Don't neglect that. That's, that's when you get to see a whole room, the Holy Spirit come across a whole room. And people fall apart, fall on the ground. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're doctors, lawyers, prisoners, what culture. People didn't think it would work in China. And Jonathan Goforth went to China in the early 1900s. And he said, no, this works everywhere. And he said, oh, the Chinese won't confess. And the Chinese are unexpressive people. He said, no, when the Holy Spirit comes, you watch. So you need to be supercharged. If that doesn't make sense to you, give me a call. We'll talk about it. What else have we got here? You also need to beware. You need to beware. Spiritual warfare is all about ideas. Right now the devil's winning. He's winning in the church. He's winning in America. He's winning in the evangelical church. He's winning in our doctrine of God. He's winning in our doctrine of practical ministry. In the church we're crazy. I, I grew up in the church and I was a crazy child. Voices in my head. Compulsions I didn't know where they came from. I couldn't be alone in a, in, a, in a quiet place by myself. I've walked a bunch of you guys out of craziness. I was just talking to one of the newer people in the church the other day, and he's like, the voices are gone. You know, I don't remember. He said there was like three of them. and One would do this, and one would do that, and they're gone. And they were giving me drugs, and they are sending me to therapists. The church right now, we're getting slaughtered. We're losing all our children. But, so we have to be aware. Why is this happening? Because bad doctrine's gotten in the church. Bad practice, bad belief. I've said this so many times, but it's always worth saying for new people. The deceptive thing about deception is that it deceives you. You You think you're right. So if the devil can ride you like a rented mule, and you think it's some psychological disorder that can be straightened out with meds, He'll, he'll just laugh at you throughout your whole life and rob you of the fruitfulness you could be having because I've seen people deal with things in a biblical way that they thought was a psychological problem. In a matter of minutes, they're out. Out. Anybody say amen? It works. How do I know? Because I was one of those people. Never went to a therapist, never got on meds. I would have been a psychologist's dream. Could have gotten rich off of me, but we were poor, so if we were rich. Anyway, you need to be aware because there's bad teaching out there, so you have to get your nose in the Word and you have to prepare. So what does Paul say about this? Remind them of these things. What things, Paul? All the stuff I've been talking about. Seriously charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. What is that? What's wrangling about words? It's overcomplicating things. It's bringing philosophy in. It's... It's making something that's really, really simple that you could explain to a seven, eight-year-old kid. Most of the most important things in Christianity you can explain to a seven-year-old kid. Who God is, how God wants you to walk with him, what God's will is. It's really simple. What's right? What's wrong? We're talking about confusing things, making it complicated, making it act like you have to have 140 IQ to even start to walk like with, with Jesus, to... to, to um, to be a real disciple. No, the stuff that works is simple. Now, you have to learn a whole bunch of stuff because I've said this before. Staying simple can get really complicated because of all the nonsense going on in the church right now. But he says, um, stay away from those people that wrangle about words useless. Leads to the ruin of those who are here. Be diligent to present yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
You can't handle it if you don't know it. He told Timothy, from childhood, you've known the words. You spent 15 years with me so we could straighten out what those words actually mean. Now get out there and use it like I taught you to use it. So, um, let's see here what our list says. Beware. Be supercharged. Be disciplined. Be set up for success. Be teachable. Be on fire. Be courageous. What else have we got? Oh, now be intentional. And this is where God's really like, ah, got my arm behind my back. But it's not something I don't want to do. It's just for some reason I just find it very, give me a room full of people and give me the mic. If they've come to hear me, even if they want to disagree with me, that's a piece of cake. Some people like, don't ever give me the mic. Don't ever put me in front of anybody. If, you, if you've actually taken the time to come hear what I have to say, but walking up to somebody because they need Jesus, the devil's like, they don't want to hear from you. You know, stop messing with them. They're going to spit in your face. I've had, since I've started doing this, I've not, not even one person has rejected the conversation. For, for a couple months now in my CD group, I said I wanted to share Christ, try to share Christ with about three people a week. Not a single person has said they didn't want to talk. I've had some amazing, sometimes I'll meet a Christian. <laughs> We're looking at a building, right? Uh, well, the, the commercial real estate company was just bought by a super young guy and I thought oh what the heck I'll see where this guy's at spiritually after we looked at the building and everything go to church find out the guy's born again you know he and I ended up praying together in the basement so you might make a new friend just like this guy at this restaurant we met uh, because Cora came up to me um, we both had an hour off hey let's meet over at the coffee shop give me your testimony you might make a new friend but uh, one time I was out and I just texted you guys. I'm like, hey, I run into a couple of Christians. Sent, pray someone. It sent, God sends me a really lost kid. Kid, a frat kid comes by. I was like, hey, can I ask you a few questions? Totally blank slate. Never heard the gospel before. Uh, like Marlena, you know, who's now gloriously saved and kind of at the heart of our church. Total miracle. Go online, watch your testimony. Homeless, meth addict, totally transformed. Um, yeah, here today. So, uh, but we have to be intentional. And a lot of us are going to have to get over this wimpy, fearful apprehension we have for just mixing it up. When I read the life of Moody, I read the life of John Hyde, I read the life of, of, of George Whitfield or John Wesley, they just realize the importance of the gospel and they're just giving it out all the time. And I think that's going to be a key for the Holy Spirit really moving. Why would I give you my power? If you're not going to use it the way I want you to use it, which it says you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. little side note here. If you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit to do ministry, it doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you accept the gospel, regenerates you, changes your desires, gives you the, the power and ability to do God's will. But the empowering I was talking about is kind of a separate thing that everybody in history that I've studied that's cool had to realize I can be supercharged as well as saved. So it doesn't mean you're, the Holy Spirit's out there and, you know, Alpha Centauri somewhere and you're all alone. He's doing other work in you, but this is a ministry of the Spirit that you have to get a hold of. But we have to make, some of you guys today, you're going to have to say, God, help me to break through this wall. I want to be intentional. I want to talk to the people at work, but just saying that scares me to death. I want to go up to the person in the park. I have no clue what you would say, Lord, just, but you got to help me. you got to get me past this. And as a church... We're pushing in that direction, but I think it's really, 
I'm not prophesying or anything, but I think it's key to the Holy Spirit moving here, the way we want to see him move. So, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. This is uh, 2 Timothy 4. Uh, In the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. The American dream, your best life now. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Get out there and spread the seed. Those of you guys who went through the Romans seminar, you got some tools to work with. The Romans Road, right? Who's used it? Put up your hand. Good. That's the best biblical sequence of salvation. So, but we have to be intentional as well. So uh, that's, you want to be a player? Figure out what the game is. And then make, Paul t- told Timothy, these things should characterize your life. Um, be courageous, be on fire, be teachable, be set up for success, be disciplined, be supercharged, beware, and be intentional. Uh, now you pick one of those and make it your application for today. I want to get involved in a CD group. That sounded really interesting to me. I'm going to talk to the pastor. I'm going to talk to my friend that brought me to church. I'm going to figure out how to get into one of those groups of five because we were just talking in leadership this morning. That's going to be key to what we do as a church. Um, I need to, you know, whatever. There's a bunch of applications here. So now I'm going to pray and I'm going to say goodbye to our Zoomers here in a second. But first of all, what? We're going to keep. We're going to keep our Zoomers and you get to watch the baptism. Uh, but I thought this would all work together really beautifully because we have a young woman who went through a bunch of stuff who gave us a nice visual aid about what it looks like to be used. If someone was watching that and say, I could do that, I'm going to get on a plane and go to Uganda. Um, if you've not been through the training she's been through, you will be destroyed. And you may come, you, you, you may come back and never really have a fruitful, healthy relationship with God again. There's people that jump into the battle prematurely and they're wrecked. I'm always pulling up files. You want illustrations? The reason, one of the reasons Brandon and Sophia are married was because a girl who had been wrecked came over to our house because she was demonized and I don't know if she's ever learned to walk. She didn't keep pushing in. Um, and people call me up and say, hey, can you help this girl? And she came over and Brandon happened to be there and Sophia happened to be spending the night as we were getting out, her out of her demonic chaos. And that's where they first met. Um, she's best friends with, was best friends with, well, I don't want to go into too many details here. But, it, but kids get wrecked when they jump into the real battle too early. It takes preparation. But I thought, it'd be great. Let's go through this, talk about some of these things. And now, what do we, what do we have going on in the back here when we do this baptism? Katie, wave at us, Katie. This is a girl that's been through it. Um, I don't, I don't want to like give out her details, but she's been on the street. She's been abused. She's been chewed up and spit out by the devil, by life. Very confused. Been told a lot of people, a lot of things by a lot of people. And uh, there's a couple in our church that's getting serious about getting tooled up. 
And they said, hey, how about we have Katie live at our house? And um, they're sharing the word. And they're sharing uh, principles of discipleship with her. And uh, she's been having a lot of success living with uh, the Russells. And um, the other day she said she wanted to get baptized. And she understands the gospel. And what's cool is the first step to getting in the game is... (coughs) It's truly understanding salvation, dying, and then and baptism is just really helpful for understanding that. Do you want to be in the game? Have you died yet? You need to come to God and you say, God, I'm a screw-up. I don't know anything. I'm just going to mess things up for the rest of my life. So I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe he took my penalty. He took my punishment. The wages of sin is death. I've sinned. I deserve death. He took it. I believe it. Forgive me on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. I believe he died for me. I believe he put him in the ground. I believe he rose from the dead. How does this work? I don't know how it works. I know it does work. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe I can be forgiven if I believe all my sin was was placed on Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's why he died on a cross. The central moment in human history was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I believe that. I'm going to give you my life now. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me how it all works. I want to be in the game. I, I don't just want to you know, be dragging along and limp into heaven. And so God likes to take the most broken and make everyone's jaw hit the floor. He, he likes to take the fatherless and the drug addict and the the person that the world says is not gifted enough or too psychologically frazzled or whatever. He says, no, 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 no. He says, watch what I'm going to do. This person is going to surrender their life to me. It's going to, and, and part of that is going to be this depiction of death and resurrection. And if they will listen and continue to walk with me, just stand back and watch what I'm going to do with their life. And we've got so many people in this church like that. That's why it's fun just to look at people's faces. And uh, some of you guys I got to raise, you know, from... You know, met you in high school and just watched the God transform your life. Some of you guys I got to lead into the kingdom. Um, but there's nothing better than that. But we're, we're actually watching somebody now go through this initial act of obedience. I understand the gospel. I've accepted God's forgiveness. I've asked him to fill my life. I've told him I want to follow him. So I'm choosing to die to everything that I was and everything I thought I knew. And now I want to be filled with the life of God. And so that's what this baptism is all about. So to wrap this up, we're going to celebrate the initiation of Katie into the game. But it's not a game. It's the reality. It's the only game in town. It's the only thing going. There are no other games. This is, this is reality. And so we get to invite this girl who had a very tragic hand dealt to her. And we get to celebrate new life. And uh, then we'll pray over her. And surround her, and hopefully, by the grace of God, he'll do what he's done in so many of our lives. That's what he wants to do in our life. So, anyway, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to go back and take care of this baptism. So, Father, we come before in Jesus' name. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for um, your presence, clarity, power, freedom, forgiveness. You're the source of every good thing. So we worship you. Thank you for Katie. We just pray in Jesus' name this would be a very special day for her. 
And she could really look back at this as a time where everything starts changing radically in her life. Uh, she gets on course with you, and she learns, Lord God, how to let you rule her heart, her mind, and use her for your glory. And we lift her up, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.